Dr. Alakija is a Nigerian national, but an African and a Pan-African, if you just listened to just that. She certainly is informed, and she is a Nigerian former chief humanitarian coordinator, an activist for social justice. She's been advocating for women leaders to be assertive in overcoming resistance to be included in leading conversation, and the leading conversation right now is COVID-19, true to form and her work. She's a leading advocate for what is clearly a diplomatic problem more than it is a science problem. Jose Letlapi is on the line, president of the Association of Medical Councils of Africa and a health activist who's no stranger to the platform. Dr. Letlapi, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good evening to you and good evening to the listeners. What do you make of what we have just heard? What do you make of the latest decisions by countries in the global north, if you will, which have the kinds of impact that they have had in countries of the global south, but not in other countries who scientifically have the same problems with coronavirus as other global north countries? Well, I'm not surprised. And and, uh, and I guess one of the things she said is this had to be expected, given how the UK in particular reacted to the beta variant. Uh, I'm not surprised they behaved this way because there's never any indication. There was never any negotiated settlement about the future, even though all of us knew that there will be other waves coming. There was never any agreement politically. And I think the major problem is this disease has been politicized. The disease has been politicized and everything of and about the disease has been politicized. From November, December 2019, two years ago at any given time, almost to the day for the next month and a bit, we have seen how the arrangement of global politics has somehow surfaced albeit through the guise of medical interventions, medical responses and scientific responses to COVID-19. The fact that for the longest time a U.S. president was referring to it as a Chinese virus, creating that political tension, which was an American tension more than it was a global tension, and an American tension because of the issues they were having with China, who are fast becoming the global center of the world with a population and the economy that they wield and the fact that America is largely indebted to them. So we are seeing a lot of politics come through. That's when it was called the Chinese virus. I want to take a bit of time now. And then it spread. China, within 10 days, built a hospital, put Wuhan under lockdown, and they dealt with it effectively whilst it was wreaking havoc in the global north. Europe at some point had to just about be on a lockdown, the sort of lockdown we experienced. America were ravaged and they continue to be ravaged. Africa, South America, in many respects, by Argentina and Brazil, were handling it. Or for whatever reason, it wasn't creating the sorts of challenges it was in other countries as on the continent. And of course, that couldn't have gone down too well. And it was only a matter of time then with the strength of public health in those countries and the ability for them to manufacture vaccines. So we saw, if you like, the imperial agenda really become manifest reminiscent of a century ago and half a century ago. Talk to us then about the timeline where we have seen these politics at play in nothing but a science matter. Well, I I think there's been quite a lot of political failures. There's a lot lot that we've learned from the times of COVID about voluntary licensing. And we have not been steadfast 
in pursuing that line of ensuring that there's no vaccine nationalism, that you don't have the North holding patents on something that is life-saving to nations and to the planet, basically. And given the successes that were made during the dealing with the HIV pandemic, we have not built on those successes. So we've got to accept, but also, I mean, when are we going to learn that we are not a priority to the West? The West prioritizes itself. When are we as Africans going to begin to prioritize ourselves? So that when we sit at the table, we don't sit begging. We sit as part of the globe with something to contribute. I think it's time that we stop feeling sorry for ourselves. It's time that all this lofty talk about our own vaccine production becomes a reality. We're going to talk about When we it. fight, we use sophisticated guns. Can we put those resources to saving ourselves? We certainly will talk about that, and we're going to talk about Africa and South Africa's capacity in particular. But let me bring in Dr. Richmond Danzo, PhD in international relations, is an expert in that field. Can we talk about the diplomatic fallouts that are inevitably going to be occasioned as a result of that? We do know and have seen our president somewhat being on the charm offense of attending special spaces of global politics, the G7 and the G20 in particular, most recently the one that was attended in Rome, where he says in his address to the nation yesterday, these issues that are now happening today were discussed, to which there were commitments. He has tried to charm them only the way Cyril Ramaphosa can. Now, how does this change the arrangement of global politics? How does this change particularly the African interest at these G7s, G8 and G20 desks? How do these things affect the work of the World Health Organization when it is quite obvious that the global superpowers, however defined, can make decisions purely based on national interest at the expense, greater expense, of global interest and particularly the global fight against coronavirus. What are your thoughts, Denzo? Um, thank you very much for having me once again. <laughs> your questions are very interesting, but I think I'd like to start off by saying that um, what will change? I mean, what are we expecting to change in this country? Because Africa has no voice in the world. So, in my survival, so I see nothing is going to change because we don't have any voice in the world. And we've made ourselves so vulnerable to the world that nobody really, quote unquote, respects us and our leaders. Right? So, nothing is going to change because that is how the world operates. And Part of it is how we have to position ourselves in global politics. And this is the outcome of it. With reference to the World Health Organization and the promises made by the um, other nations, yeah, this is very unfortunate that nations are closing up in times of like this. By the end of the day, we put it right, it's about self-interest, right? What is the interest of the United States or Canada or Germany or any of the global superpowers in this fight right in this pandemic how are they going to sustain their people for it and we shouldn't lose sight of that it is about gear threat 
before any other president. And even if Africa is going to be part of their thinking, it's going to be the least on the priority. So that is what the other colleague was saying. It's high time we as Africans look forward and try to do things on our own. Like if we have money to, how much do we put in research, for instance, at a continent? This will be the rest of the world. So you might be crying out loud and be talking about how unfair this is to us. By the end of the day, we have to also look inward and try to see how we can fix things because nobody's going to fix it for us. Nobody's going to um, tackle the pandemic for Africans. We cannot always be going to the world begging the right? And understand how unfair this travel but everything is. But we are not a world stage yet. We don't seem to, our leaders don't seem to even care about the average African. So how much more do you expect the outsiders to care about us? That is a bigger question. Okay, so let's talk about Africa's capacity. Dr. Letlap, I'm bringing you back in here. Let's talk about Africa's capacity. Let's talk about the arrangements at a diplomatic and political, social and economic level that Africa has within itself and the practicality or the near foreseeability of being able to cooperate at such a level where then we can be, to an extent, indifferent as to what the global north does, which won't have the sort of impact on present facts has because we would have arranged ourselves in such a way that there is a sense of inter-African or intra-African dependence and not so much international dependence, if you get that distinction. Do we have the necessary, let me call it infrastructure, social, political, call it what you will, call it infrastructure, do we have that infrastructure on the ground to make this a practical realization? I think what we should not forget is that we're dealing with a pandemic of global proportions. Unlike the HIV epidemic, the pandemic that was solely centered in South Saharan Africa, this is a global problem. So it has to be an issue of what are the international mechanisms that need to be used. How do we create mechanisms where there's a uniform way of how to deal with travel restrictions that are not done in a discriminatory manner? But coming back to our capabilities, when you travel uh, in some of the OECD countries that are English-speaking, as coming from an English-speaking country, there's a lot of healthcare professionals and other expertise from Africa that resides in those countries. So we need to be able to talk about pan-Africanism and making Africa a home for all Africans a reality. And there are things that can be done. In the Association of Medical Councils of Africa, we're talking about harmonization of regulatory mechanisms so that we can register. Once you are registered, in one part of the continent, the standards have been harmonized. You can work anywhere in the continent. So once you begin to create those corporations, we will then be able to harness all the intellectual capital and resources that we have so that we work collectively. We can begin to collaborate on research projects and not compete. 
and we can produce more. So despite the dissociation, we're still able to do the gene sequencing for something of global importance, and that is done in Botswana, that is done in South Africa. So the capability is there. What we just need is political leadership that will ensure that this talk of uh, Africa trade agreement becomes a reality in practical terms. Mm, mm, certainly. And, and that drives us to the next question, which I want to feed off that last point. We've got the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which is the latest such major multilateral platform where Africans can meet from a trade perspective, but we can't exactly talk about trade if we don't address the issues that affect trade. In this instance, the health of the globe, but in particular the health of the continent. Richmond, what do we then need to do at the African Union level, not necessarily with everybody, because we're not going to get all 54 African states on day one at the starting blocks. That's just never happened anywhere in multilateral platforms. But we do need a significant number, and it need not be in the majority, but a significant number with a significant program of action that starts that gets the sufficient momentum going so as to get people along the way to join. What sort of arrangements then need to take place? The focus of this conversation really isn't the decisions that Boris Johnson or Joe Biden or their contemporaries have taken. They've taken those decisions. We're largely unsurprised. It's consistent with history. But what should be done is that Africa alone should stop playing the blame game. We also have our own responsibilities that we ought to take up. And I'm asking this question in relation to that. How do you respond? How do we get going? Because we now know, as if you like, the jury is out, the line in the sand has been drawn. How do we move? Well, I think uh, on the continental level, we need to um, kind of have a framework to address these issues when it comes to health. In the African trade free, African free trade area agreement is great. It has a good start and a fair start, long overdue, but better late than never. I think we also need to have similar institutions and policies and frameworks um, at the continental level whereby we can pull resources together and probably have um, a bigger research institution in one of these countries, one of African countries, where on an annual basis, we all channel resources into this where we can look into tropical diseases and other things affecting us collectively and also try to develop vaccines and other things for ourselves instead of always relying on the words. Because believe you me, these things are going to happen over and over again. And this is an eye-opener for all of us. I think we've seen more than enough for us to um, be on the guard. But this is a wake-up call again for us. And if our leaders are really listening and they want to put the continent at heart, this is a great opportunity for them to come together, pull resources together in terms of science and technology. Let's develop our own vaccines. Let's develop things that suit our continent. And let's start from somewhere. I mean, South Africa has got a great um, technology and science um, institutions, right? Let's build upon that. Let's put channel more resources. She thinks it's going to be coming from the South African government. Let's put it on the continental level. At the African Union, how much are we willing to commit to research and development of the continent on an annual basis and be deliberate and committed about it? 
and put in these resources so that we can also boost that we are doing something. We can always sit on the fence and expect the rest of the world to respect us when we are not bringing anything to the table. So it's high time we take our destiny into our own hands. It's high time we put money and resources into areas we feel like we really need to. We don't have the resources. I get it. Not all countries will buy into this idea. I get it. But we have to start from somewhere and develop our own um, medicine, our own vaccines, our own things that will work for the Africans and for us in general. Johannesburg, 714-2006. That's 011-714-2006. I'm sure many of you at home are raring to participate in this conversation. I have two Mikes who have already participated. One is on the line waiting to go. He's from Newlands. You know all about him. Little oft engaged on the platform, he surfaces every now and then, is another Mike, M. Tata. He says... South Africa has a surplus of vaccine, but only 35% of South Africans have vaccinated. Why? Our vaccine hesitancy is the reason why other countries shut their borders in order to protect their citizens. That's Mike M. Tata. We have Mike in Newlands on the line, and he's giving us his thoughts. Mike, good evening. Thank you. Yeah, hi, good evening, Sugeso. And and my thoughts here are inspired by your saying that you can't keep playing the blame game. We need to take responsibilities for our own actions and for the continent we live on. Well, that's roughly, I think, what you were saying. But, you know, there's two things. First of all, it's going to deal with the Chinese thing. I felt that, uh, you know, China, we cannot trust. We don't really know what went on in China. Yes, I know it was called the Chinese virus by uh, by Trump. But the fact of the matter is that China, China was extremely dishonest. We know that they had this virus. We knew that they had it for, they knew about it for at least six weeks and probably a lot longer. We know that they they kept it very very quiet from the world. It wasn't if it wasn't for Taiwan, uh, back in I think first of December 2019, if if my memory serves correct, if it wasn't for Taiwan, we would actually wouldn't have known about it for a lot longer. So you know China needs to be punished because they try to keep this underground and that they and a lot of people died, which we don't know about because let's not forget about China. It's not a democracy. It's a it's a it's a country with only one government, no free press, and of course social media is uh, is extremely toughly controlled if at all, if it exists at all. Uh, the other thing I just want to mention is that my main point really is African leaders. You know I know that uh, Europe and America went on and hoarded drugs, but. You know what I find frustrating is the fact that we in, in Africa keep complaining about Europe. Uh, one thing we must understand is that Europe and, or say, European countries and American countries looked after their own first, something we don't seem to want to do in South Africa. They, they, they needed the vaccine. Yes, they ordered They kept too much. But you know what? They took care of their own people first. Once they realized they were on top of the game, they started to release the vaccine to the rest of the world and, of course, Africa. Because Africa is too busy fighting amongst itself. And the other thing about Africa is that we don't give credit where credit is due. It was a launch of pharmaceuticals here in the Western Cape, as I understand it, that actually found this new strain. But they've been given no credit by our government at all. It's almost as if the government found it. The government didn't find it. It was a private laboratory that found it, that discovered it, and they've been given absolutely no credit. And the final thing I want to say is, yes, we can hop on about bringing the the vaccine to Africa, and why can't we manufacture it here? Well, hello, we can't even keep the lights on here in Africa. So we need to get our act together before we complain about Europe and, the, and America and other countries. Let's get our country together. Let's get Africa sorted, get rid of the corruption, keep our lights on, and let's start looking after ourselves and stop worrying about the fact that nobody cares about us. Nobody will care about us. We need to grow up and understand that we are on our own and we need to look after ourselves.
Yep, that's my point. Thanks again. So quite consistent with what Biko said, but he used the word black man. You're on your own. Kudos to you, Mike. An entire four minutes without mentioning the acronym ANC. Some things do change. Mamvui, Poktown North, good evening. Thanks for calling. Yes, Shangeza. Thank you for taking my call. How are you? I'm well, Mama. Go for it, please. And your guest, uh, yes, Shankoskakul. You know, I think the problem here is the inconsistent of the scientists and the leadership that we have. And uh, so, you know, trying by all means to, to work on people, not work with people. That's my predicament, because if they were working with people, not on people, things will have turned out, out different. Why are we not allowed, allowed to go seven to some years, you know, African medicine? Because that's the very medicine they are taking into the labs and they're weakening them in their own way. Coming back, if you go to a health shop, you find that this thing you can buy for 10 rand, go my mind, and they do it at home. And then you pay 600 and something for it because it comes from the Western world. I think it's high time we restore Ubuntu and it's high time we consult with people. The ANC, which is my party, at Clip Town, part of the, this freedom charter that I don't really support that much is that the people shall govern. So if the people shall govern, it's that we need to work together. We don't need to work on. Because right now we're facing a genocide. Why is the secret? Uh, not to waste your time. Just go to Max Dupree's article, where he actually states that this, uh, this uh, what, what's the new name? Oh, God, the Greek name that has been given this thing. Um, Ocron or whatever the story is, was detected in Belgium. Five days earlier than it was detected in South Africa. So why are we not told the truth? Why are we deceived? That's my question. Thank, Thank you so much, Mamvui. Let's go to our first-time caller calling in all the way from Ekhayelita. Mazenetole to you, Bonagele. Thank you so much for calling. <laughs> Your thoughts, please, Bonagele. Yeah, absolutely. Allow me to say something. Uh, I've said to your brothers or your, your cousins, Ken and Rasta, they were complaining because they only listen to me when I speak to other, other programs. In the morning, you understand. But I never spoke to their brother. So, first time thank you, I'm excited as well. I appreciate that. I would like to agree with you, Mike Newland. I was asking myself, why you always rely on Europe? We we happen to be saying Africa for Africans. But when we are isolated, we start complaining. Why, really? Honestly speaking, hence I'm saying. I fully agree with uh, Mike in Newland. Thank you so much. Yeah, certainly. And I'm going to pose a question to you, Ndadele Tlap, insofar as it relates to the capacity question, but from a science perspective. So do gear yourself up. I'm going to mention the key words, Ketlapila. I want to mention Biovac. I want to mention Johnson & Johnson. Ndadele Tlap, just gear yourself up in relation to a question using those three key words that's coming up for you. Let's go to another first-time caller. We're doing well for ourselves here yeah? in Protea Glen, just down the road, as it were, in Soweto. Nkosana, his name is Prince. <laughs> Prince. Hello, hello, Sandebo. How are you? Well, sir, how's it? Yeah, I'm fine. No, sure. I just want to weigh in on, the, on, the, on this you know, situation with, with politics. You know, in my opinion, I always say politics 
are the worst thing to ever happen to our world. Now, you know, you know what is the keyword? Economy, which translates to money. I mean, we, like, we're facing a lot of problems because of politics, which are influenced by the economy, which in this, in this sense that, you know, we've got the richest countries, you know, they would, they, 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 they would a lot of money. So countries that have got nothing, they don't have, you know, you know, much to say. You know, I mean, like, look at what is happening in Africa. Look at, look at what is happening in the Middle East. Basically, the Middle East and the, and, and, and the European and the Western countries are enemies because the Middle East did not like, give away, uh, you know, their culture, their ways to the West. You know, and then you find that the Middle East now is painted, you know, that bad. So why are we surprised when the Europeans and the, and the Americans are treating us like this? Because we have bowed to them because of what? Because of they've they got so, many, so much money. Today we speak English. You know, Arabs, we speak Arabic. You know, they speak broken English. We laugh at them. You know, today we, we, our content is influenced by the West, which is America and Europe. So they, they, they've got the right to tremble over us because we've given them that... You know, we, ne- we never stood. You know, we, we, we always, you know, you know, second-guessing our, our people. You know what I'm saying? So it, it never started with the COVID. It's a, it's a trend that has been there, you know, for, 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 for many years. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as I'm saying, you know, you know, so why are we surprised? Why are we surprised that whenever there's a, there's a, there's a problem, they actually point fingers in Africa? Fair you know, point, fair it's question. A, why are we surprised? Prince in Project Glen asking that question, saying that it's quite justified given the fact that everything that is happening is effectively the outsourcing of our own legitimacy and agency to these open, close quote, global powers. He's a second time caller, he styles himself. He's calling this evening in Cape Town again. Charles. Welcome, Charles. Yeah, good evening. How are you? Well, sir, how's it? Yeah, I'm okay. Um, what I can understand with this uh, latest drama of uh, um, Micron or Macron, whatever by um, virus, is just like it's a programmed thing. Um, they tested uh, the adult vaccine in Europe. Now they want to use Africa to experiment the kids because the target here is the kids. They want to force our kids to take this vaccine, which is not acceptable. That is all I have to say. Hello? Charles, I'm here. Go for it. No, that is just all I have to say. They want to force our kids to take this vaccine. I'll be following the trend. The whole target here is about the kids. It's no longer about the adults. They want to sell their vaccine. That's all. Thank you, Charles. Certainly, we're going to get some responses from the two guests who remain on hold. Sorry to do this to you, gentlemen, but this is a highly emotive conversation we're having, and South Africans are letting rip with their thoughts. A couple of voice notes before your responses. Good evening, SAFM. <laughs> you know, South Africa is just being exposed by this international travel ban on them. I think it will come, South Africa will come to its senses to say it's just another African country. And the perception that those European countries have against 
African countries applies to all the 54 nations, including South Africa. So it's high time that South Africa must restrict itself to Africanism than being, say, ah, Germany does this, uh, Britain does this. We, you'll never be British. You're all regarded as African inferior people by the European countries. V2 Driving School. Hi, Songezo, Nicholas in Cape Town. Songezo, the question that we have as South Africans, also other guys from, from the African continent in parallel, what <clears throat> did Ramaphosa, uh, what was he thinking by associating with the Americans? He knows exactly who are the Americans. And now, today, he's got no clue whether he, uh, the people's lives is facing the east, west, south, uh, you know? He, he's, he's got no clue. He's clueless whether what is going on. And the question we're asking, why always these scientists coming here on air talking bubblegum language? Where are the scientists within the African continent? Why can't they voice out about this nonsense of a virus? Good evening, Swangezo. You know, the story of this variant is nothing but a diversion. It is a diversion. Why I say so? Look at what's happening in Europe. Look at what's happening in the West. COVID is raging its ugly head. It's raising its ugly head there. You've got uh, Germany recording uh, up to 75,000 cases. Uh, 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 England, uh, about 50,000 50, cases per day. Although there are not so many deaths because, uh, you, you know, the vaccine works for those who are high risk. But for those who are not low uh, high risk, the vaccine has fallen flat. This is a diversion from the real issue that is happening right now in Europe. Anonymous. Richmond, deal with this diversion issue because now this is just global politics, global tactics. This is a template from which the global north is known to play off when they can't quite get their issues in order. It is always appropriate, as they have done from time immemorial, to make the world's attention focus on the other person. In this instance, the other person seems to always be the third world, if not Asia, South America, or Latin America. In this instance, certainly the first port of call, Africa. How do you make men? How do you respond to that point, Richard? Richmond, sorry. Hello. Richmond, I'm here. Yes. Yeah, you cannot root um, what the caller said out. I mean, obviously, there have been instances where when um, the West cannot deal with issues, they try to divert attention to other issues and particularly to the so-called developing nations. And I don't have the fact to back this one up, so I wouldn't want to, I would like to tread cautiously with this assertion by something that we cannot totally root it out. Let me come to you, Dr. Letlape. I had asked that you consider the three key words, and actually the key words are BioVac, Pfizer, Kitlapila. South Africa's capacity to at least respond to its own health care needs. Kitlapila is supposed to be up and running and doing precisely the work that the likes of BioVac are now doing and entering into partnerships with Pfizer. But this should have happened long ago. A state pharmaceutical ought to have been up and running, and this is the sort of work, precisely because we've got these challenges, that if it had been done when it was supposed to have been done two decades ago, we wouldn't have this problem. Those are difficult things to, to, to go through. 
I think part of the problem is we have this uh, confusion about the private sector, the sectarianism. We don't have South Africa. We have sectors in South Africa. And that is a problem in its own right. And that creates, contributes to the paralysis that we see in our country. I mean, somebody asked the issue about this variant, which have come from the private sector, but it's the government that is claiming the victory. And that's part of the problem, that South Africa is not united. You have apartheid masquerading as the private sector. And we need to deal with those issues and come together as South Africans so that we can be a force to be reckoned with globally. So the issue about the need for a um, state pharmaceutical company, I think it's, it's about time where we talk about a South African pharmaceutical company where both the state and the private sector are acting together. And it becomes a South African company. And we get out of this uh, state versus private mentality. Then we will make progress as South Africans. We should not continue with apartheid masquerading as Public and we have a regulatory framework. We have a regulatory framework that all feeds to the Constitution, and the Constitution is unambiguous on certain things, including Section 27, the right to health care, Section 10, right to dignity, and the fact that we are one democratic state founded on human dignity, freedom, and equality. Why are South Africans, in this case you, still lamenting the vestiges of apartheid as though we do not have the legislative authority and power and reason to change that? For so long as we are having these conversations, we really shouldn't be having a conversation of Europe and the global north when we've got these very basic issues as a conversation. This despite the fact that, and this is something that I want Danzo to respond to, Rwanda as well has banned direct flights from these SADC countries where Omicron has first been spotted a week ago. Nothing has been said in this conversation, certainly, about Rwanda's decisions. It's about the decisions of Europe. We clearly have a lot more to consider within ourselves before we start looking outside. How, how do we correct this private and public health care systems that is clearly offering disparate experiences and therefore transactions from democratic South Africa, and then at the same time we want to have the conversation about Europe and South Africa? I think one of the things that we probably need to begin to do is we always refer to the Constitution as a great piece of paper and there's none delivered. Part of the question that we need to ask is, is the Constitution in South Africa an enabler or a disabler to transformation. Because part of the problem with the Constitution as it is written, as it is written it's like apartheid never happened. There are no issues about restitution. So those that are left behind in terms of this Constitution will stay behind, and that is constitutional. Because there's no mechanism to assist them to come forward. It's only if you stay poor that you constitutionally can get grants 
from government. The government has a responsibility to ensure that you don't starve to death. But our constitution does not allow those that were oppressed before to make progress in their own right. So I think it's about time for us to evaluate as to whether this constitution is it enabling or disabling. It's a nice piece of document. It's one that everybody refers to. But in 25 years, those that were disadvantaged prior to 1994 are worse off than now. And you just have lawyers making money appearing in front of judges. And the situation on the ground is getting worse daily. Okay, I've got so you. We, so need, that... we need to look at it. We, we can't keep saying the Constitution this. I mean... Final comment, final comment. 30 seconds. Judges are, judges are on medical aid. And you talk about Section 27 of the Constitution. But they are sitting on privilege that is based on an apartheid law that none of them question as to why, as judges and as doctors and as a broadcaster, we've got privileged health where ordinary South Africans don't sit and it's an old apartheid act of parliament which is ultra-virus to our constitution that sits and disables proper healthcare reconstruction and delivery to all citizens. Loud and clear. Let me get Richmond to have the final say in this because he is the international relations expert in this conversation. Do we have as much a case against Rwanda as we seemingly have against the global north who have taken exactly the same decision, but the only nuance in relation to Rwanda is that it is an African country that is bordered by some southern African countries. What are your thoughts on the decision made by Paul Kagame's government there, Richmond? Well, I, I would say it's very unfortunate uh, for Rwanda to isolate itself in this um, situation. Um, I didn't expect that from Paul. Um, he seems to be a trailblazer on the African continent for um, the last few years, and I tend to think that he would have and students' solidarity with South Africa and South African countries in particular. But um, in comparison, I think the issue with um, Europe or the Western nations because of how the global system is structured and because a lot of trade goes on between South African countries or South Africa and Europe. So when you tend to isolate South Africa, then the impact is felt greater than isolating um, Rwanda creating its borders to South African countries. I think that is where the dynamics come in. Another issue is the perception that Western nations have hold the um, vaccine, right? So if you're holding it and there are new variants coming out of countries or places where we do not have access to vaccine, then you lock us up. Are you expecting us to die? I mean, those are some of the things that are going on within people's minds. That's how come we are very much more critical towards Europe than let's say towards Rwanda. But on the brighter side, I feel like a lot of Africans are holding our leaders accountable. I mean, most of your callers are talking about the fact that we need to have more intra- or inter-African uh, relationship and try to build things within instead of always trying to look outside and build outside. I think that is a wake-up call. That is great. We have to put more pressure on our leaders because those are the people we do elect and those are the people who are accountable to us. We cannot hold Macron accountable, but we can hold um, someone like Nana Kufuado accountable sure. or 
from any other president on the African continent accountable. So I think we should channel our energy more towards that side and leave the rest of the world to do what they are, they've always been doing. Let's leave it there. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Dr. Kosi Letlape, President of the Association of Medical Councils of Africa and a well-known health activist in the country, together with Dr. Richmond Danzo, PhD in international relations and an expert in the world of diplomacy. That's the conversation that was Africa, Global North, and new forms of imperialism guised as a lockdown. 2101, I beg your pardon, Grechos. Where could I have stopped this conversation? Sorry, it's Mudupi. I beg your pardon, Mudupi Mahalimele. Thank you so much. Good evening. It's time for news.